When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twenty-seven is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Thursday, May twenty-fifth, two thousand twenty-three. Twenty-seven, as in that's how old Patrick Mahomes is, and we'll get to him in a moment. We're going to start with twenty-seven years since the Florida Panthers made it to the Stanley Cup. The Panthers swept the Hurricanes in what can only be one of the great days in Gary Bettman's life, a conference final sweep. Tonight, it could be a double sweep as we would have a Vegas-Florida Stanley Cup. And I wanted to congratulate the Florida Panthers, Vinny Viola, the owner, Matt Caldwell, the president. Don't forget, this is the team that barely made it into the playoffs. They needed a great run just to get there. A number eight seed, which in hockey and basketball, the lowest seed in baseball, whenever you can make it as an eight seed, it is worth taking note. One point away from missing the playoffs. One point away, and this would not have happened. So what is Florida doing right now? This is a franchise that I have had issue with for decades we would be in the same market as they, the Marlins and the Panthers. The Marlins were a pro player. The Panthers were in Broward. The only reason the Panthers have their own stadium in Broward, little known fact here, Normie, is that the Panthers and the Heat used to play in the Miami arena in Miami. The Panthers were owned by Wayne Huizinga, who also owned the Dolphins and the Marlins. And he was a Broward guy, which is like Fort Lauderdale for those of you not in Florida, which is the overwhelming majority of you. Mickey Arison on the Heat, he's a Miami guy, as in Carnival. Wayne Huizinga and Mickey Arison could not get together on getting an arena built and sharing an arena. Like every other community where basketball and baseball would share an arena and that would make sense. Nope, instead there had to be two separate arenas built. And that's how you got the AAA, American Airlines, arena in Miami where the Heat play and you got whatever it's called now. It's called, it's been called so many things. It was the Bank United Center when I was there. I actually have no idea what it's called now where they play in Broward. Two different arenas. Absolutely insane. Now Broward and Miami-Dade are two different counties. So two different counties helped fund it. The same state is involved in helping to fund, but just such a waste that these owners could not get together. And then of course, Wayne Huizinga sold the team and it's gone through a couple of different owners. Currently, Vinny Viola owns it. And now they're in the Stanley Cup in Broward. There's a guy named Michael Yormark who is now the commissioner of the big, ah, oh, Coke, it was just in my head. Is he the commissioner of the Big 12? I think that may be right. Michael Yormark used to be, he's uh, his brothers with Brett Yormark, who's also involved in sports, but Michael Yormark used to be the president of the Panthers. And the thing that Michael Yormark would do is he would 
paper the stands with free tickets because no one was going to Panther games. He would devalue sponsorship rights because there was no, oh, it's Brett Yormark who's the Big 12 commissioner. I thought it was Michael. I don't know what Michael does now, um, but I'm talking about Michael used to be with the Panthers. But in any case, Michael Yormark was very frustrating to me because he was lowering the value of what it meant to engage with your sports team and therefore making companies and individuals not want to pay money to be involved with the Marlins or the Heat because they were getting such great value like free with the Panthers. I never agree with giving anything away for free because then that is what your product is valued at. But then the Panthers got new leadership and under Matt Caldwell, they have turned their business around and it turns out that you can have a hockey city where it's hot. And what I like about that is that you have the ability to prove to people in your community, the business side of your community as well, that winning matters, but actually good leadership is the first and most important thing. So I'm so happy for the people at the Panthers and for getting to the Stanley Cup. I want them to win the Stanley Cup for them. I want them to win it for the fans of South Florida. If you have a chance to go to a Stanley Cup game and to go in Sunrise, Florida, where this arena is, the environment is fantastic now. The fan affinity is fantastic. Maybe John Van Breesbrook, Van Breesbrook, Van Breesbrook. John Van, the former goalie for the Rangers and then the Panthers in the Stanley Cup, maybe he will drop the first puck. Maybe they'll go back to rats. Whatever they do, it's gonna be exciting. And the math would tell you that they're past due. You'd sit in meetings a lot. Just side note, Coca. When you're sitting in an owner's meeting, it is so unbelievably frustrating to sit with executives of teams who are winning World Series all the time or who are in the playoffs every year. You're always jealous of the Yankees or you were jealous of the Giants during their dynasty when they won it in 10, 12, and 14. People were jealous of us when we won it in 97 and 03, even though I wasn't there in 97. Because the odds are that you're only gonna win a World Series once every 30 years. There's 30 teams. That should be the math. So when you don't win a World Series for 100 years, you're so overdue that you, you're bubbling over, your fan base is bubbling over, you're angry, you just can't believe that this is what the baseball gods have in store for you. And so you say to your owner, listen, we're gonna get there, it's gonna be our time. Just because eventually that's what math would say. So the Panthers are having their time because in theory, with 32 National Hockey League teams, every 16 years you should be in the Stanley Cup, and then every 32 years you should win the Stanley Cup. So this is the time for the Panthers. They're gonna win the Stanley Cup. Coca, I'm feeling good right now. Wait to see. The Florida Panthers are winning the Stanley Cup. They'll beat Vegas, and if somehow Vegas loses the series, which they won't, they're winning. Make that an official wait to see, please. Florida Panthers winning the Stanley Cup. God, that's gonna annoy the Marlins. 27 years old is how old Patrick Mahomes is. And somebody had a question about Patrick Mahomes that definitely needs to be answered today. You know what I want? <laughs> I wanna talk to Samson. So you wanna talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter DMs at David P. Samson ask me a question, David. Do you think Patrick Mahomes should renegotiate his contract? The Chiefs look smart. That's 
Very simple question. Thank you for asking. The reason why you're asking this question is that yesterday, Patrick Mahomes was asked how he felt about being the seventh highest paid quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, let's see, has he been good since he joined the NFL? I believe he's been to three Super Bowls. He's won two of them, and he's been to the AFC Championship every single year. Other than that, he's been absolute crap. When asked, Patrick Mahomes gave a quote that made me smile. I've always said I worry about legacy and winning rings more than making money. At this moment, Billy Vera and the beaters. We see what's going on around the league, but at the same time, I'll never do anything that's going to hurt us from keeping the great players around me. Patrick, let me give you some advice. It's really cool to pretend you're Michael Jordan. Always pretend that you're giving money away to keep the guys around you. Or to be Tom Brady and to say that you're going to take less because you want to keep winning Super Bowls. I get it. But this is egregious. As an executive, I'm very much in the Jerry Reinsdorf camp. You sign a contract, you honor the contract. If you come to me and want to renegotiate a contract because you're playing so well, my answer is going to be no, unless you're willing to let me come to you to renegotiate the contract when you play like crap. In 18 years, I never found one player who would do that deal. And I love that deal. I was willing to do that deal. You want to raise after an MVP year? You got it. But when you don't have an MVP year and our team doesn't win, I want to cut your salary. I want money back. Absolutely not deal breaker. All right, let me try a different approach. You will be a free agent every single year. If you're the best player in baseball, you're going to be paid the most of any player in baseball because you're a free agent, but you can only sign a one-year deal. I love that. The number of votes I got around ownership and union, zero. Owners didn't want to have to worry every year about putting a team together. They wanted some sort of consistency. They liked the idea of signing guys to five, 10-year contracts. The players love the idea of guaranteed contracts because then they can get hurt and they can suck and it has zero impact, zero impact on how much they get paid. I thought I had the most rational reason in the world. Why can you not convince your union members that they should be paid on merit? I'll try to convince the owners that we should pay employees based on merit because that sort of makes sense. Picture it like a sales team. People who sell the most make the most. People who win the most should make the most. People who are the best should be paid the best. When Patrick Mahomes was offered his contract, it was the summer of 2020. You may recall what was going on in the summer of 2020. He got a 10-year extension worth $450 million. People thought this was the number one contract, and it should be. He's the number one quarterback. We did a segment back then. I'll never remember which one, what day where we went through that contract and went through all of the incentives in that contract 
and we told you that there was no chance toilet pants that Patrick Mahomes was gonna make $450 million. We're already correct. Because in order to have made 450 over the 10 year extension, he needed to be the Super Bowl MVP and the league MVP every year. Now, he's done it a couple times, but not every time. Therefore, the maximum amount of money he can make keeps going down. The actual guaranteed portion, the actual amount that he's making per year, he's behind Aaron Rodgers. Russell Wilson, Hertz, Jackson, all of them have now passed Patrick Mahomes in average pay. The seventh highest paid quarterback and Patrick Mahomes is the single best quarterback in the NFL and there's no discussion. You can at me at David P. Sampson all you want. You can tell me that you like Josh Allen or Joe Burrow or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson. I don't care. Patrick Mahomes is under every category, the best quarterback. So why would he agree that it's all about legacy and rings and he's okay not getting paid this much because he wants to make sure that he has a better team around him? Does that mean by definition that the six quarterbacks above him are in a position where their teams can't do well? Let's see if the Packers done well with Rodgers. I mean, no Super Bowls, but not terrible. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Yeah, but when he's been the highest paid, like with the Broncos, not good. How about Jalen Hurts? Hmm, I think they've done okay. When you're putting together a football team, you can absolutely have a Patrick Mahomes player who is the top paid quarterback in the league and still have a winning team. It's absurd because what you're saying if you're not buying into this, and Coke and I had a discussion before the show about this concept. I know you need a team to win in football, but if you're saying you can't win with the highest paid quarterback in football, that means that by definition, the team with the highest paid quarterback is not gonna win. But that's horse hockey, because if you've got the highest paid quarterback, who's also the best quarterback, then you should be able to win no matter how much money the highest paid quarterback is getting paid. That's where my point differs from others around football or even maybe around Matt's comment. If you're gonna be the highest paid player, you better be the best or you're not gonna win. Patrick Mahomes is the best, therefore he should be the highest paid player. So does he go to Kansas City and say, hey, I wanna renegotiate? They're gonna say, absolutely not. Why would they? Any owner who agrees to renegotiate a contract when the player's at the height of what they're doing, that's just bad business and you don't become an owner of a football team or any sports team by engaging in bad business. Once you own a team, you start doing bad business, but that said, there are people around you who stop you from doing really bad business. So I'm gonna monitor this going forward, and the reason I am is that uh, I believe, to answer your question, that Patrick Mahomes should attempt to renegotiate his contract. I do not believe it will be successful, but I also believe that he will not go through this entire 10-year extension without a renegotiation. There's gonna come a point where he won't even be the seventh highest paid quarterback anymore. There's gonna be a point where he, what he gave up in order to get that deal, which was that escalators or a change in his base salary based on a percentage of the cap, 
So as the cap goes up, he would maintain the same percentage of the cap. And if you're trying to keep a good team around you and you were comfortable with the percentage of the cap that you were when you started, then you should be comfortable being the same percentage of the cap every year, which would mean that his pay would be going up at the same rate that the cap goes up. But that's not what's happening. The Chiefs were able to negotiate a deal in the summer of 20. May I remind you, the summer of 20, advantage owner, they were able to negotiate where his salary would not change at all. So the bottom line is that Patrick Mahomes, who's currently in seventh, we're going to wake up tomorrow and he's not going to be seventh anymore. Joe Burrow's going to sign and that'll make him eighth. Justin Herbert's going to sign. That'll make him ninth. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, are they better than Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely not. Patrick Mahomes was 17% of the cap. 17% and the Chiefs were able to win the Super Bowl. I grant you that's a high number since no quarterback has ever been that high a percentage of the cap. Though I would argue no quarterback has ever been Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, did you see that? He was asked to name the top five quarterbacks. Side note, when you are the best and you're asked to name the best, is it a flex to name yourself? I wonder if people said to Michael Jordan, hey, who are the top five basketball players of all time? Would, would it even be credible for him to give a list that did not have his name? Are you saying that Patrick Mahomes is not one of the top five to seven quarterbacks of all time already? I'm not willing to. I looked at his list. It's a good list. But Patrick Mahomes is clearly on that list. I guess he's too humble. Okay. Being a quarterback, you, you make your money. Try not to get hurt. Try to win a Super Bowl. Try to behave off the field if you possibly can. Try not to let your ego fall out of control. A couple days ago, you asked me to talk about a story, and I couldn't get to it till today about Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger, the former quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he did a podcast where he interviewed his successor. And what was funny about interviewing his successor is that he basically said to him that I did not want you to be good, which I found to be quite telling. Can you? So Kenny Pickett comes in, he's supposed to be the, the new Steelers quarterback. And Ben Rosselberger says, I'll be completely honest, super transparent. I'm going to get blasted. I shouldn't say this, but who cares at this point? That's already too much preamble. I wouldn't say that I wanted Kenny to necessarily fail, but when someone comes to replace you, I still feel like I had it. I hope he doesn't come ball out because it's then like Ben who? I am not a Ben Roethlisberger fan in any way. I don't approve of his conduct off the court. I think that the way he was, he did not get into enough trouble for the things he did. It is hard to argue with the way he was on the field. Very, very successful. What I love about what he did, one of my faves is saying the quiet part out loud. And all of us want to believe that these players want to win and they care so much. And all of us want to believe that everybody's mentoring, that Favre mentored Rodgers and Rodgers mentored Love, no matter what Love says happened, no matter what Rodgers says happened. The truth is there are very few players who actually want to be leaders and mentors. Very few. They exist, but they're very few. 
then there are very few players who are serious when they say, hey, it's my time to give up my position. I agree, I shouldn't be the shortstop. I want this kid to come up here, this prospect who got a signing bonus 20 times what I got, who's gonna make 50 times more money than I ever made in my career, who can't hold my jock strap, but hey, I'm really happy that the team is going that direction. Players don't root for those players to succeed. It's the same thing as someone replacing you in your job, you get let go because they say you're too old or you're not producing enough. And then someone comes into your exact job and they become the superstar. And that then gives an even larger frame of reference to evaluate the job you were doing at the end of your tenure. Wouldn't it be amazing if the person who takes over for you can't do it either? Do you think that I was rooting for Derek Jeter to succeed as president of the Marlins in real life? I've got an ego like everybody else. I didn't want to be the one who was the reason the Marlins weren't winning or the reason why people weren't coming to games. If Jeter had found a way to win with the Marlins and sell out Marlins Park, how would that have made me look? Now that he was so bad that he got fired and they don't win games and they don't sell out the park, now people look back and say, wow, I guess it wasn't Samson. Now it must be something else, like the market. Of course I'm rooting for that. Publicly, you try to say, oh no, I want the Marlins to succeed and I root for them. Now, now that Jeter's gone, I absolutely am happy for the Marlins to win. I think it'd be great for them to get their third World Series. Not with Jeter there. Does that make me petty or a bad guy? Does it make Ben not normal? I absolutely will argue, not because I want company with my misery or with my spite or with my pettiness. It's because I want people to realize that we all have company with how we all naturally feel in these circumstances. And good on Ben for actually being willing to say it. And Kenny Pickett had two ways he could have gone with his responses. One, he could have called them out. Or two, he could have done what he did. He's honest, he's out front about it. And he's a fan now and pulling for us and it was really cool to hear him say that. I think we're just going to continue to build on that relationship. Why would Kenny Pickett ever say anything other than what he said? When you, it's like Jeter coming out and saying something bad about me. Why would he ever do that? Or Jeter doing anything that would in any way erase anything we had done in Miami. Why would he do that? Because <laughs> that's that was his only move. I'm giving you all I got. I always picture Jeter doing the Seth Rogen thing, the dance in Knocked, in, uh, Knocked Up, when he's dancing with uh, um, Izzy from Grey's Anatomy, Katherine Heigl, and he's doing some sort of dance and... Jay Baruchel, the guy from uh, Tropic Thunder, and she's out of my league. He's like, that's it. He's giving her all he's got. And it was the dice move. That's what I always viewed Jeter as. He's literally giving all he's got, which is nothing. So that's Ben. What else? Let's go. You know what? I got to. Did you watch Survivor last night? We have to review Survivor after the break. And then I want to talk about what happened with John Morant yesterday. And, uh, you're gonna to wanna to listen to this segment because to me it's important that we all react to John Morant in a way that can be the most helpful to John Morant, not the most hurtful. We'll be right back.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's Thursday. We're live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Thank you so much for joining us. You can also listen to the podcast and please do rate it, review it, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube. Tell your friends about it. And let's talk about Survivor. Survivor finale was last night. Season 44. 44 seasons, not 44 years. It's been over 20 years. The first time I watched Survivor was season one. It was at Olympic Stadium. So that must have been 2001 as a mid-season replacement show. It could have even been 2000, but 2001 is my guess. One of those two years, it was a mid-season replacement show. This crazy reality show, before reality shows were so huge, where people have to not eat, they have to lie like crazy, and they have to do these incredibly physical challenges, all while trying to get people to like them enough to give them a million dollars after you've lied to them and kicked them out of the game. One of the most brilliant social experiments ever to come to television. It's been copied all over, but there's only one survivor. The champion was crowned last night. Jam Jam won at the first person ever from San Juan, Puerto Rico to win. He deserved the win. But the game to me, my review of season 44, I like the fact that it's always on Fiji. No problem, they used to change locations. The problem with the game today is it is so difficult to compete when it's not just a physical game, it's not just a strategic game, but it's a game of luck in a way that even the producers could not have wanted when they first started. And the luck is, how do you find an idol? And then how do you know whether an idol's real? And then how do you know when to play the idol? Here's a little behind the scenes from Survivor. First of all, I get asked the same question, so I try to do this once a year or twice a year. There really is no food. There is sunscreen you can use, so you don't burn yourself in the sun, but you do it off camera. There is no toothbrush. There's no soap, there's no toilet. There's all the things that you think could exist off camera, they really don't. You don't leave the island at night and sleep in a bed and then come back. There's cameras on you 24 hours. You're sleeping on the ground. There's bugs, there's rats. There, I never saw any snakes when I was there, but there, it's just gross. And you smell and it's, I'm glad I was only there three days. Although next time I'd like to be there 26 days. Survivor season 44, if you're looking to start watching Survivor, you should always start with Survivor season 28. That is known as the best one. Then watch Winners versus uh, Winners at War. But season 44 was a good one. I loved it. Thank you to Jeff Probst. Thank you to CBS for continuing to give us Survivor and starting next season, Survivor 45, guess what? 90 minutes every episode. Hell yeah. During the course of a season, the phone rings a lot. 
The phone rings when players get injured. The phone rings when players are not performing or when there's a possible trade, when there's something going on off the field, on the field. My phone's ringing all the time. It gets to the point after a number of years where you dread your phone ringing because no one's ever calling you with good news. I never, as president of the team, never say never, but very rarely as president of the team does someone call without a problem. If I got a call yesterday about John Moran's social media post, I would snap into action immediately were I the president of the Memphis Grizzlies. John Moran posted something, and I didn't have to worry about this because social media was just starting when I was there. And player issues manifested themselves in other ways, being out at a bar all night, getting a call from a girl, a woman, a parent, a wife, a teammate. It always had to be a firsthand account when I would get a call, hey, we've got to deal with this issue. Now with social media, there are calls that you would get when you actually don't know whether it's an issue. John Moran posted a video on Instagram, which was a bizarre sort of series of photos. And then it was a picture of him and the word just said, bye, as in BYE. People saw that video and immediately went on social media to say, is his life in danger? Is he getting off social media? Is he about to be suspended? Is he in trouble? Is he being abducted? The call comes in and my immediate reaction is someone put eyes on John Morant. The first call I would make is to my GM, then my coach, then his best friend on the team who I would know who that was. And I would say, have we seen Ja? Have we spoken to Ja? What do we know? Because during the off season, contrary to what you may think, you are not speaking to your players every day. You are not seeing your players every day. You're following them. You've got different areas where you meet with them during the course of an off season to check up on their training. You'll send the trainer to go visit a player who came out of uh, the season overweight and you wanna get the player in shape or a player's injured, you would send a trainer down, maybe even the GM to go look at a rehab session. But a player with mental health issues or a player with abuse issues or a player who you don't know has any issues, sometimes you follow up, sometimes you don't. But when there's something acute that happens, and this is obviously a problem in society, but there's nothing you can do because we all are short on time, you can't give your attention to everybody. You look for where the emergency is and that's where you give your attention. So John Morant is in a constant state of emergency. So for me, there would be constant attention on him. But for whatever reason, the police were called in yesterday to do a welfare check on John Morant. As president of the Grizzlies, I would not want the police doing a welfare check on John Morant. I don't want that PR. I wanna do an internal welfare check. I wanna find out what's going on. Maybe it's just a stupid post but maybe it's not. And I would have the ability to get somebody to lay eyes on Ja within hours of seeing that post, if not faster. No matter where in the world he was, by the way. The scary part, if you are Adam Silver, is that you've got a young superstar in your league who you tried to suspend for eight games, you tried to see if that would work and it clearly hasn't. 
The welfare check turned out to be okay. His life was not in danger. But we still have no explanation as to what that post actually was. But Adam Silver, he better figure this out, and I mean quickly, because the other commissioners are figuring it out. The mental health of the athletes these days is a far bigger issue than it ever was when these commissioners started. It is a far more upfront issue. It is being talked about and dealt with in the same way as physical injuries are, and it needs to be, if not more so. A mental health problem with a player can lead to a way worse result for the player and for the league and for the team than a physical injury. Now, you can argue that the concussion issue in the NFL is a physical injury, and that has led to a ton of problems. You can lead to the fact that everyone's getting Tommy Johns in baseball, and that's a problem when your best pitchers are being paid not to pitch because they all get hurt. Those are physical injuries. Concussions, worse than Tommy John. But mental health issues, worse than concussions. Worse than Tommy John's. If John Morant is having mental health issues, it's not just a Memphis, it's not just a Memphis Grizzlies issue. It's an NBA issue. For Adam Silver to have told John Morant, hey, we're gonna help you get treatment. Oh, you're good. It's been 24 hours of treatment or it's been eight days of treatment. You're fine. Come back. We love you. It's almost like treating a Tommy John injury as a cuticle cut on your non-pitching hand. That's the disconnect between the seriousness in which I believe the NBA is taking mental health issues and mental health issues. And when you've got that Grand Canyon size difference in how seriously you take an issue and how important that issue is, only one thing results, the implosion of your company. Think about this, not mental health, just think from a business standpoint, let's talk about business. If you've got a part of your company that is extremely profitable and you ignore it to focus on the parts of your company that are not profitable in order to get them profitable, What'll actually happen is the part of your company that was really profitable will become less profitable at a greater and faster rate than the parts of your company that are not profitable with all the attention you're giving them, having them become profitable. It's like in sales. It's way harder to get a new customer than to keep your own customer. So you better focus on keeping your own customers. The NBA's product is its players. The NBA needs its focus to be on the court. The NBA needs as it heads into a new round of agreements for broadcasting, it needs no negative press. Does anyone worry that John Morant is at the tip of the negative press iceberg? Is anyone but me concerned that John Morant is headed down a path that could end with him not in the NBA as a best case scenario? Am I overreacting? As team president, I'd rather overreact. I'd rather think and assume the worst and then be happy when it doesn't happen. Then think and assume the best and then ignore what is a far more likely outcome. You can put your head in the sand all you want if you're Adam Silver or if you're the NBA or if you're the Grizzlies, whoever you are, put your head in, your, in the sand all you want. You're gonna be sorry, I promise you. I really hope that Jaw's getting the help he needs because basketball is the last thing that should be on the mind of the Grizzlies or Adam Silver. It should be getting John Moran healthy.
All right, nothing personal pick of the day, just my luck. And Coca can co-sign this, and I don't know if he will, but he should. Yesterday, we had the Rays over the Blue Jays, but we're still 78 and 78 because I forgot to say it on the show. I got so distracted that I never gave my pick of the day. So we're 78 and 78, but I still feel like we're 79 and 78. We've got a big game five, Celtics versus Heat. The Heat can join the Panthers, make it look like 1994 back in New York. You could have Florida Panthers, Miami Heat in the finals. And the odds say that the Heat are gonna win because they were up three nothing. And the odds are 100% they win the series because it's never been done before. But maybe this is the first time. We talked about it yesterday or two days ago that somehow the Celtics won game four and now they feel like they're right in there. Well, if they win game five, now you're down to the Portnoy special. All you gotta do is win one road game, game six, who cares? Celtics favored by eight over the Heat. Guess what? Saturday night, I know what you're doing. Even though it's Memorial Day weekend, you'll be watching game six. Celtics eight over the Heat. All right, let's talk a little baseball. Two things of note are going on right now in Texas and in Chicago. The Chicago Cubs are a team that is uh, not very good. They had a heck of an off season. Do you remember how excited everyone was that they signed Cody Bellinger for 17 million bucks, that they signed Trey Mancini for 14 million over two years. They got that great shortstop, Dansby Swanson from the Braves, gave him $177 million. They took Jamison Tyone from the Yankees for $68 million, way to go. They spent all this money and now the Cubs have a problem. And the problem the Cubs have is they're in a division that's not really that great and they're worse than that. So now we are right back to speaking to Jed Hoyer, the team's president of baseball operations or the team's GM, whatever title you want to give him. I think he's the president of baseball ops. We're heading into Memorial Day, which means that the GMs are now in full TDM. Full trade deadline mode is when you know that the media and your fan base and your owner are focused on whether or not you're gonna be buyers or sellers. You're trying to figure out with your finance team, with your CFO, where you are with your budget, where you are with your revenue, whether or not there's a capacity to add, whether or not your team is worthy of adding, and then who to add, and then when to add. If on the other hand, you are a team that's going to sell, then you meet with your finance people and you figure out when should we sell to save the maximum amount of money? How much money do we need to cut off the player payroll budget? Because when you sell, that means in theory, you're cutting your budget. There are teams who sell who don't cut their budgets because when you pay the salary of a player you trade when you're in sell mode, you get back better prospects. So there are teams who like to flex their wealth. We never did that. I don't wanna say never, that can't be right. We must've paid somebody one time to get a better player. I just can't think of it, but I'm sure we did. But generally when you sell, you do it because your team stinks on the field and your revenue is not being hit. Therefore, you wanna lower your expenses and the fastest way to lower your expenses, you can fire everybody in the company or hire McAfee. I'm sorry, what I mean is you can fire everyone in the company or trade an infielder. Probably better to trade the infielder, isn't it? 
So the Cubs now are thinking about what to do, and Jed Hoyer started with the page five of the GM playbook when it comes to the trade deadline. You're always thinking about the trade deadline, he said. It's a real factor in every season, whether you're looking for reinforcements or whether it's a year where you're selling. Every team has it. You want to act with conviction when you get there. Either direction. I like it. All of us always said the same thing publicly, which is we're evaluating our team and we want to do what's right for the team. If this team is ready, then we want to buy. Do you know there were some times that I had to not say that publicly because we didn't have the budget to buy? Or there were some times that I knew we were going to buy even though we weren't worthy of buying. So then I would say, hey, in my mind, we're 22 and 26. We're chasing the Brewers. We're only basically four and a half games out of first place. We are definitely going to add. The only way I'd ever say that is when I knew we were gonna add before the season even started because we knew we had the budget for it and we knew we had an owner who would always wanna add. Sometimes you go into a season saying, hey, our payroll's too high. Unless something miraculous happens, we're gonna have to sell. Then what you say publicly to the media is, this team has not shown right now that it is capable of winning the division or competing in October. Therefore, we have to do what's prudent and we have to do what's in the best interest of the team long-term. That's code for, we're cutting the budget, we're selling. Sometimes you say, hey, we're gonna see what happens in the next month. If this clubhouse plays the way we always thought they could play, then we are going to add. That's a message we give to the players to say, hey, you want reinforcements, then start playing better. The problem with using that as a philosophy is when you go into a 26 person clubhouse, when you say that you are going to get reinforcements, do you know what that means? That means that someone in the 26-person clubhouse is gonna be either released or sent to the minor leagues. They don't want that. You may think that doesn't happen. Trust me, there are players who are very focused on the deadline and they like team staying pat. So we'll see what the Cubs do. I have a slight feeling that they are not going to add. But I've got a pick for you with the Cubs today. An unbelievable matchup. Carlos Carrasco against Tyone, two great pitchers. I mean, these are, I think that they've both got a sub two ERA, both performing fantastically. Uh, really, the Mets have been so good this season that I, I assume they're favorites to win the World Series. And a Mets-Cubs could be an NLCS preview. So this is a game you got to watch. But take the Mets. Mets plus 100 over the Cubs as the Cubs get one step closer to selling. There's another team that has been a positive surprise who is going to add, and I'm really happy for them. The Texas Rangers, did you know while you were sleeping, they have the third best record in Major League Baseball? Did you know that if they were in the National League, they'd have the best record in the National League? Did you know they signed Jacob DeGrom and he's done nothing for them? Do you know last year they signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, gave them all that money, and then had a terrible year? And then they brought in Evaldi and Heaney, I think I have a wait to see about Andrew Heaney, by the way, Coca. And meanwhile, Evaldi's been terrific. We had him with the Marlins. We traded for him. He's been terrific. He's still doing well. Did you know that they've got an MVP candidate on the Texas Rangers? I don't know if you're following, but a guy named Adalas Garcia. He's tied with Judge for the leading home runs in the American League and leading the American League in runs batted in. I don't know if you're aware that Corey Seager's hitting 348. The reason I'm bringing up the Texas Rangers 
is that I have had a soft spot in my heart for them for the last couple of years. Well, I don't agree with the contracts, I absolutely think that DeGrom signing is an absolute waste, a horrific signing on myriad levels. They opened a new stadium and the first year of their new stadium was the COVID year. So they had a play with no fans. They got to host the Bubble World Series, but guess what? They missed out on the greatness of what it is to open your stadium. And you know what could go wrong like it did for me in 2012, but it could go right also. And they never got the chance. It's the same reason I feel for the Washington Nationals. They never got a chance to fully defend their World Series championship. They won the World Series in 2019 and 2020, as you know, was not exactly a normal year to say the least. So they didn't get the World Series bump in revenue that they would have gotten by winning the World Series in 2019. You work so hard to get a new ballpark or to win a World Series. And when you can't take advantage of what you know is gonna happen, or at least you think you know, you're almost positive and you never get the chance I've got a soft spot. So I've got a soft spot for the Texas Rangers. I'm actually not rooting for them to win the division because I didn't choose them to win the division. I think they've got a good chance of winning the division, but you should follow the Rangers. The Astros are definitely the champions until they get thrown off the chair by the Rangers or by someone else in that division. But you gotta have good feelings about what they're doing. I do. It'll be interesting to see what happens for the rest of this season. And I want uh, you just to know, as we end this show today, May 25th, Monday's Memorial Day, all of the math changes after Memorial Day in baseball. All of the percentages, the chances you have of winning your division if you're not winning, the chances you have of making the playoffs if you're out of the playoffs, the standings don't change as much as you think post Memorial Day. So for all of you who are saying, hey, it's early, we have nothing to worry about, it's not that early anymore. Have a safe day. See you tomorrow. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Mm -hmm.